Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Is the season. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. As Ryan said, the brave and the bold in the room. Thanks for uh, braving the wind and the weather and for being here this morning. And uh, everyone who's watching online, Melissa, the Stapletons, Gail, uh, all you, good to see you this morning online and joining us. And those who are going to watch later as well. We are in the series, The Upside Down Kingdom, talking about the kingdom of God. We started in Acts chapter 4 of what the church is. And then we've been working our way backwards to the cross, and we're working our way to the cradle. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? Matthew 3, 1 through 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are here, and this is the season for Christmas songs and carols and food and family and friends, but... Mostly it's about you and how you came, you saw us in our mess, and you came near. So Jesus, I just pray right now, those of us in the room, those who are watching online, maybe on their TVs or phone or laptops, God, that they would just feel you near to them, closer than the air that we breathe, closer than the clothes on our skin, and we would just sense you smiling over us. As Pastor Josh talked about last week, you are good, good Father who so dearly loves us that we would just feel that deep in our bones. In name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, one day, John called the Baptist, uh, or the baptizer, he shows up in the desert and he tells everyone, hey, repent, for God's kingdom has come near. You need to repent, and people respond. They come all from around the region to John to be baptized in the Jordan River. But what does being baptized and confessing their sins have to do with the people and their nation and what's going on? Well, we have to kind of go backwards in the story a little bit, and a little historical context I think can help. See, at this time, the Jewish people were living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. It was just one in a long line of empires who had enslaved, really, the Jewish people. And, and throughout their history, they had the same pattern again and again and again. The Jewish people would walk away from God. And then God would use some other foreign nation to come in and, and conquer them and discipline them. And then God would send a prophet to say, hey, you need to repent and turn back to the God who saved you, the God who delivered you, the God who loved you. And then they would repent and then they would be delivered. And then the system would start all over again and again and again. Ever get stuck in a pattern? And then you need something to break you out of it? Maybe, maybe 
you were in a, uh, maybe you were uh, you know in a pattern of good healthy eating, and then Thanksgiving hits right, and you eat all the pumpkin pie, and you need something to break that pattern. You know, a lot of times, you know, you get in these patterns and then, you know, something happens. And so like maybe Thanksgiving week, you're, you're, you eat all the food, and then you get on the scale after Thanksgiving. Anyone else do that? Yeah. And then you're discouraged and discouragement weighs us down. Right. And so what happens is we need a couple people got that pun. Thank you. What we need is something to break the pattern. And same thing happened with God's people is they would turn to God, worship him for a while. Then they'd be disobedient. They turn their back on God. So then God would send a nation to, to conquer them, to, to attack them, and they'd be cry out, God, deliver us. They would turn back to God, and then they'd do that pattern over and over and over again. And so something needed to happen to break the pattern. Uh, this is what I, I found a couple uh, fun pictures. When the holidays are over and you realize how much food you eat. Uh, anyone can relate to this dog right now. Yeah, that's, that's me in this. And then uh, me... After I eat during the holiday season, these sweatpants are all that fits me right now. Anyone else can relate to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need something to break the pattern because discouragement weighs us down. And, and, and we get so tired of doing the same things, being in the same pattern again and again and again. And so something needs to happen to break the pattern. Something has to happen to break the pattern. And so that's what God did was the Jews were in this pattern again and again. And so he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break the pattern. And 400 years of silence. They were waiting for God to send another prophet to come and, and speak to them. And just for context, I like to think of this. Like, you think of how old our nation is, you know, just under, what, 300 years? Like, 400 years is longer than the United States of America has been around. That's how long the Jewish people we're waiting. Talk about disappointment and discouragement. You know, the old prophets had spoken that there would come a time of renewal in which God himself amazingly would come to them and back to them. What an amazing promise. And looking at the story of God's people in the Bible, we can see that sometimes God will use silence and challenging circumstances to help break unhealthy patterns. And so this is what God did was he used silence and challenging circumstances to break this pattern that the people were in. Maybe today, you feel like God is silent. Maybe you feel like you found yourself in challenging circumstances. We know sometimes our good, good father, who worked things out for our good, we sang last week, not for our enjoyment or our pleasure, he knows, hey, what they need right now is a, is a season of silence or challenging circumstances. Because he knows what we need the most more than what we think we need the most. But to fully understand the story of John the Baptist, calling for God's people to repent and to return to God, we have to understand where he came from. So we're going to go backwards a little bit more. So we're actually going to look at the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, because I know everyone woke up saying, I hope Pastor Eric preaches out of the book of Malachi, right? Right? So uh, we're going to read here Malachi 3, 1. This is the last prophet before 400 years of silence. Look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple in the flesh. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly He's surely coming. 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then the next chapter, Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. He doesn't mean literally the reincarnation of Elijah, but one who comes in the power and grace and authority of Elijah. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then 400 years of silence. God says, I'm coming in the flesh one day to be with you. And I'm going to send my messenger to prepare the way. But you're going to have to wait. And so the Jewish people, they're now waiting eagerly, anxiously for a Savior to come. And they're waiting for that messenger who's going to prepare the way for God himself. And if you're in a season of waiting, waiting for something, waiting for that next job or a child or a relationship or a friendship or just a a breakthrough in your life, you are not alone. The people of God, they were waiting for 400 years as they went through discouragement, as they went through despair, as they waited for this messenger of hope to come. But here's what we need to grasp deep, deep in our bones, that just because God is silent, it doesn't mean he's not active, amen? Amen. Just because we feel like God is not speaking to us, it doesn't mean he's not working for our good and for his glory. Oftentimes, we may feel like we're all alone, but we have to know and trust that God never leaves us. We are never alone. And even when it feels like he's not there, he is. And even when it seems like we have trouble hearing his voice, and he seems like he's silent, it doesn't mean he's not active. During this whole time, God is preparing his people And he's preparing the way for the messenger, John the Baptist, to come, who's going to then proclaim that God has come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. So now let's go to the start of John the Baptist's story. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Herod was the king of this region. Uh, He was like a regent underneath Caesar. He's not the emperor. He's not Caesar, but he was a very, very wicked king. Uh, In fact, Herod was so uh, power hungry and, and he didn't trust other people that he had his wife killed. He had two of his sons killed because he was so worried about his power. In fact, he had a palace near uh, the Mediterranean and what he would do is he would invite people to come to his palace and he would have them drowned in his pool. And in, when people would say like, oh, your political rival, what happened to him? He's like, I just have a dangerous pool and they don't know how to swim. I don't know what happened. So that, that's Herod. So this is the time of, of Herod. Luke's kind of giving us some context here. It's the Roman Empire is over this and you have this Herod, this evil, wicked king who uh, is very power hungry and, and is worried about keeping his power king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. In this time, there were different divisions of priests. It's kind of like uh, maybe, you, maybe you serve in the National Guard, or maybe you have a friend or relative, like my brother-in-law served in the National Guard. You might have your, your division, kind of your unit. And that's kind of what the priests were like. They had different units scheduled around, scattered around Israel. And then two times a year, those kind of um, National Guard units would come into Jerusalem to serve. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, 
and both were advanced in years. So we have Zechariah. Zechariah is a nobody from nowhere. He is a priest of, of a small little town. So think small country town pastor. Think, you know, his church is, you know, half full on a Sunday morning because of snow and that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it's a church plant in a high school auditorium. That's Zechariah, right? He, he's not a big time, full time priest in the temple in the big city. He lives out in the sticks. It's just a kind of a small town guy. His wife is married to Mr. Nobody. She's a, she's a nobody too. But they love each other. They're both from the lineage of Aaron, who's the priest, and they've been serving God faithfully. And this is Zechariah. He's going to be the father of John the Baptist. Here's what we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Number one, they were old. <laughs> we don't know exactly how old, but they were past the age where normally you would have kids. But Dr. Luke, though, who's writing his gospel, he wants us to think about an old couple in the first book of the Bible who were childless and old as well. So instantly he wants us to think about Abraham and Sarah and to identify with their story with Zechariah and Elizabeth. So they were old, like Abraham and Sarah, past the age normally where you'd have children. Number two, we see they struggled with infertility. For years and years, they'd wanted to have a baby, but it hadn't happened for them. And in this culture, not only was that something very sad and something that they they dearly wanted, but it was also very dangerous because there was no social nets like we have nowadays, no social security, uh, no bank accounts, things like this. And so really what would happen is you get older, your kids would then take you and take care of you. And so they really had no one, as they're getting older, to look after them and, and take care of them. And so this is what they're going through right now. And, and they've been asking and waiting and waiting for a baby. And, and, and they anxiously wanted this. And year after year after year, this great, godly young couple who are serving faithfully, they're, they're asking God for a child, and it's not happening. And it's not happening. And it's not happening. If there's something in your life that you've been asking for again and again and again, you're not alone in that. Zechariah and Elizabeth, asking year after year after year, God, send a savior to save us from the Roman Empire. God, send us a baby. We want to be parents. And year after year after year, they're waiting. It's not happening. Number three, they were poor. In this small little town, just Mr. and Mrs. Nobody, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth. But what they didn't do, number one, they didn't split up. In this day and age, even as a priest, he had the out to divorce his wife. He could have split up with her and just said, you know what, we'll go our separate ways. Because back then they thought, well, if there was infertility issues, it has to be the woman, it can't be the man. Uh, very silly. But they said, it can, you know, so he could have divorced Elizabeth, found a different wife, and they could have split up. You know, a lot of times infertility can be really, really hard on a relationship. I know many of you have gone through that. And it can be tough. And I'm sure they had hard seasons but they didn't split up. They stayed together. Number two, they didn't try the Abraham plan. If you know the story of Abraham, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, desperately want to have kids, and God promises them they're going to be the fathers of a great nation. And, and, and so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And so then finally, Sarah gets tired of waiting. She's like, Abraham, you know what? Just go sleep with the nanny, and we'll have a child that way. And Abraham's like, well, <laughs> oh, fine. You know, if that's what you want me to do. I'll take one for the team. That's fine. I can go sleep with the young Egyptian nanny. That's, that's, I can do that. And he does, and they have a child, Ishmael, and it's not good. And God's like, what did you do? You're supposed to be waiting on me. And they try to take things into their own hands. And it causes lots of issues. And today, really the root of the conflict between Arabs and Jewish people is because of that mistake that Abraham and Sarah made right then. And so oftentimes we fall in that same trap of wanting to force 
something God's planned for us in our own timing and do something. But they didn't do that. They still waited and they trusted and they weren't like Father Abraham in that situation. Number three, they didn't get bitter. They didn't say, okay, you know what, God, you're not going to give us a child, so I'm going to stop serving you. I'm going to stop loving you. I'm going to stop, you know, being your servant. No. The Bible says they were righteous before God. They served faithfully. They kept worshiping God. They kept serving God. They kept loving God. And you know what's really cool? Mr. and Mrs. Nobody from small town, little church, they made it into the Bible. Why? Because they didn't get bitter. They didn't try to take things in their own hands. They didn't split up. They kept waiting on God. They kept loving God. They kept serving God. They kept worshiping God. See, until you hear a no, keep asking in hope. Until God says no, keep asking in hope. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they kept asking in hope, God, save our nation. Send us a savior. God, send us a child. We want to be parents. And they hadn't received a no yet, so they kept asking in hope. And this morning, if there's something you're hoping for, you're waiting for, and if you've not received a no from God, I encourage you, keep asking in hope. And when you get to the point where you feel like you just, you don't have any more hope for that thing, when Chris and I went through our season of, of, of years of infertility, we were in a community group back in Colorado with people, and, and they hoped for us. So that's one of the things why we need to be in community. So even when, when you lose hope and you start to doubt, you can have other people come around you and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to believe you. I'm, I'm going I'm to trust you. I'm going to continue to hope with you. Let's look we read on Luke 1, 8 through 9. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is Zechariah. So like I said, so these priests would serve kind of on synagogue, kind of the outskirts of the country, and twice a year they would come in to uh, the temple to do their uh, time of service. And each division, they would, they would throw dice basically to say, all right, one person each time gets to go into the actual temple and burn incense in the Holy of Holies and say a prayer before God. And so year after year, Zechariah would go with his division down to Jerusalem and, and they would cast lots to see who is going to go and burn incense. Now, year after year after year, Zechariah, they're, they're throwing their, their dice, they're casting their lots, and he doesn't get chosen. See, once you got chosen, you're, you're done for life. That was your Super Bowl moment. You got to go into the Holy of Holies. You got to burn incense. This is your one big day. So Zechariah, maybe for decades, he's been making the trek to, up to Jerusalem, up, up the mountain to Jerusalem, and he's throwing the dice, loser. Throwing the dice, loser. Throwing the dice, loser. He's like some of us maybe in gym class, always get picked last for dodgeball or basketball. Not Josh, but me. You know, that's, that's Zechariah. He's the guy, he's always wanting to get picked. Never picked, never picked, never picked. Year after year after year, loser, loser, loser. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Oh, we got to go backwards. We skipped a verse here. Oh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So now this is the special day. Finally, after all these years of waiting, he's chosen. He gets to go inside. It's like, Zechariah, this is your big day. You get to go inside while the rest of us wait outside and we pray. Now here's the big deal. When you go in, you want to be someone who's quick. You don't want to pray long like some of us pastors. <laughs> you want to be a quick prayer. You go in, you burn your incense, quick prayer, you get out. Because here's the deal. is What would happen is the rest of the priests, they'd be on their knees 
on hard, like marble floor. And they're like hands outward, like praying, like, okay, God, you know, we're, we're praying as, as our priest friend is in doing his deal. And really, you're like, God, help him go fast. Because you're sitting there on your knees and it hurts. So you want him to do his thing fast. So old Zechariah gets chosen. He goes in. They get down on their knees. They're like, come on, God, help him be fast. Want him go quick. Whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So he goes inside. They're waiting outside. They want him to be fast. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So Zechariah, he throws down the incense. He starts to pray. Boom, an angel shows up. We're talking about angels last night with my kids at bedtime. I said, you know, I think angels are much more fearsome uh, creatures than what we see drawn, you know, like the little cherubs who are fat or even just in our kids' books. Because pretty much every time I've seen in the Bible, maybe there's not every time, but it seems like it, every time the first words out of an angel's mouth are like, hey, don't be afraid. <laughs> like, so they must have been pretty fearsome. I don't know. Some of the descriptions of angels in the Bible is they have wings covered with eyeballs. I don't know. Who knows what they really look like. But this angel shows up, and, and we're lucky Zechariah, old man Zechariah, doesn't have a heart attack and die or something, right? But he's like, what is going on? And fear fell upon him. So he's been praying. Boom, angel shows up. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Maybe today, though, that's the word that you need to hear is do not be afraid. We've talked about this. Man, so many people right now are living with so much fear. So much fear. Whether it's fear of disease Fear of, 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 you know, the government's going to come in and, and take away all our rights. Fear of this, fear of that. There's just so much going on. You go on, on social media, man, they call it fear porn because they know that's what gets the clicks. It's outrage and fear. Oh, do you know what's going to happen? Here's the big bad stuff. And fear can steal your joy and your peace and your hope. Amen? Fear can steal your hope and joy and peace. Amen? I'm not saying we stick our head in the sand and be ignorant. But there's a big difference between being informed and fearful. Amen? So the angel says, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. What a beautiful, beautiful thing for the angel to say. Until you hear no, keep asking in hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth, year after year, they're asking, God, send a Savior. God, give us a child. God, send a Savior. God, send us a child. And they keep waiting and waiting, but they haven't heard a no yet, so they keep asking in hope. And finally, after years and years and years, angel shows up and says, your prayer has been heard. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, Zechariah was smart, which many of us are not. He would have just shut up and said, thank you, angel. I'm going to go home, see my wife, and I'm going to tell her the good news. But what does Zechariah do? Oh, angel goes on. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He's quoting that Micah passage, Malachi passage we read. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared and Zechariah said to the angel, uh, how do I know this is going to happen? How do I know this is true? Can you imagine? You're the angel. You know, God's up in heaven. He's like, oh, hey, come here, Gabriel. John's down there. He's been praying. He's been at, waiting for this like 40 years. You could go down and tell him the good news. He's like, yeah. He goes down. 
He shows up. Don't be afraid. Maybe he's got his flaming sword. I don't know. And Zechari- he tells him all Zechariah the good news. And Zechariah's like, well, how do I know? He's like, well, first of all, it's like, you've been casting lots. Loser, loser, loser. Finally, today's your day. You get to go inside. You throw the incense on the fire. You pray. You know, God send a savior. God gives a son. An angel shows up, says, your prayer has been heard. This is going to happen. And you're saying, how do I know this is actually going to happen? Like, he's a little frustrated. How should I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. But here's the thing. If you aren't dead, then God's not done with you. If you aren't dead, God's not done with you yet. He still has plans for you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter the mistakes you made, you can't screw up God's God's plan so much that he can't use you anymore. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. (laughs) You can't screw up his plans. God still has good things for you. So Gabe says, I am Gabriel. All right, there's only two angels named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. John gets one of the two. (laughs) He's a big deal. He says, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Gabe's a little upset at him. He's like, boom, nine months of silence, roasted. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at the delay in the temple. All the priests, they're on their knees. They're praying. They're like, what's with the old guy? Why is he still in there? They're waiting. They're waiting. Little did they know he was actually talking to an angel. So then Zechariah comes out. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Like, what's going on? Oh, boom. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended at the temple, he went to his home went with his wife, told her the good news, wrote it down, and, and, and they're excited. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Can you picture Elizabeth? I just get so excited when I think of them. Like waiting, waiting, waiting. They'd given up maybe on this dream, but they're still praying And now God's going to answer their prayers. Like, that's so exciting. One of the reasons it's important to be in community is that we can celebrate when God answers prayers of people that we've been waiting and praying and praying for. Maybe today, maybe there's something in your life you've been waiting for, you've been praying for. What I want to do at the end of service is I want to pray for you. Maybe it's waiting to have a baby. Maybe it's having an adult kid who's wandered away from Jesus and you've been praying for them. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something. I don't know what it is that you've been waiting for and waiting for. As a community, we want to pray for you. We want to believe with you. We want to hope with you that like Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God will answer those prayers. And I just love this picture of Elizabeth. For the first five months, she's just rubbing her belly. She's enjoying it. She's feeling John kick in her womb. And she's got a pregnant belly. She's got a silent husband, right? She wins every argument. <laughs> like, this is, this is good. She is loving life. Like, things are good. And Dr. Luke tells us this clue, though, that she prays, he takes away my reproach. That's idea of shame or guilt. See, in this day and age, people thought that God opened and closed wombs, and so if someone couldn't get pregnant, then that was perhaps God's judgment on them. And so year after year, as, as John, or as Zechariah in the line of priests, and Elizabeth from the line of Aaron as well, they get married, and everyone's excited, and they're waiting for them to have kids, and year after year, they don't have kids, and 
the women in the village start talking. Like, oh, look at them. They thought they were so special from the line of Aaron. But if God loved them, then why don't they have kids? Oh, what did they actually do? Oh, they must have some sin in their life. Some reason God's not blessing them with kids. And, and Elizabeth is, you know, she's, she's going about her life and she's going to the well. She's drawing water and she hears another woman talk about, hey, hey, did you hear that, you know, so-and-so got pregnant? No, well, God sure loves them. He's blessing them with another kid. And every time she hears that, it's like a knife in her heart and she's pierced. And she so desperately wants this thing. That's where you're at. You're not alone. Elizabeth feels that pain. She felt it. And what does God do? God is so good. He says, the Lord has done for me. He looked on me. He took away my reproach, my shame. And now she's rubbing her belly. She's rubbing it in. Hey, God loves me. And not only is am I just going to have a child, he is going to be the messenger to prepare the way for the Savior. See, sometimes while we're waiting, God's just waiting for the right time. It's not time yet. Whatever that thing is that you are waiting for, you're hoping for, you're praying for, it's just not time yet. And so we're going to move into a time of communion in a little bit here. And before we do that, though, John, in Elizabeth's belly, he grows up to become that messenger, to prepare the way. And what does he do? We read at the beginning. He tells the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God is nearer to you than you realize. Maybe when you hear that word repent, maybe you think of that preacher, you know, maybe on the sidewalk, turn or burn, you know, repent. You know, you're going to hell. Let's see, the Jewish word for repent is Teshuva. It means to return. We've talked about this, that when God invites us into repentance, it's, it's this idea of the to return, that we're walking along, we've been in a forest, and we look down, we realize we've left the path. And Teshuva means to return, get back to the path. Before we get lost in darkness and the wilderness and going down maybe off a cliff, Jesus says, hey, return to me, repent. And so repentance isn't just being like, oh man, I'm sorry you got caught. I'm sorry that my secret sin hurt my spouse. It's not just being sorry. Repentance is, hey, I was going this way with my attitude, with my actions, my thoughts, but now I'm realizing as God calls me to repent, if I keep going, I'm headed towards destruction. I'm headed to a place that I don't want to go because I've seen other people in their lives and they end up in a mess. And so now what I need to do is not just be sorry in my heart, is I have to turn and return to Jesus. Even Zechariah, in his moment of doubt, he had to repent and return to trusting God. His son John then grows up and says, hey, Jewish people, you need to repent Some of you need to repent of your sin, the way that you have have, have turned your back on God and you need to come back to that path. Some of you need to repent of your religion. You've been so focused on sacrifices and, and ceremonial cleaning and doing the right thing just to keep God off your back. But God says, that's not what I've called you to. I've called you into a loving relationship with me. And so John says, repent, return, return. And Jesus he comes, 
He gets baptized by John to show us an example that even though he didn't need to, to show us that, hey, life is repentance. Martin Luther says all of life is repentance. It's, we constantly get off the right track and we need to return to Jesus. We, we, we go into sin and, and maybe there's something that gets between us and God and we're going down a path that's not great. Oh, I need to return. I need to repent. Maybe we get caught up in religion and just doing things for God, whether those are good things, maybe that's even serving others, whatever it might be, but we realize, you know what? I'm doing this more about these religious things and I need to return to act Actually, the loving arms of Jesus. And then Jesus, he lives, he goes to that cross, he dies for our sins. God with us, Emmanuel, broken on the cross, that all our sin, our sin and guilt and shame, all our religion, all the ways we try to save ourselves, gets piled on Jesus, and then to add his death, that it's all paid for. The slate is wiped clean. And now through Jesus' death and sacrifice and his resurrection, we can have new life and forgiveness. And just like Elizabeth, where her shame and reproach was taken away, Jesus wants to do the same thing for you today. And so what we do as followers of Jesus on a regular basis, we receive communion. Communion is that tangible reminder Sometimes we wander off and we get into stuff and it's not necessarily bad stuff, but it's just not the best stuff for us. And, and that bread and that juice is like, oh, that's right. Okay, Jesus died on the cross for me. He invites me to turn and I need to return back into that relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we get off track and we're just focused on religion or just doing stuff for the holiday season. And it's like, you know what, that, that stuff's gotten in the way of me and Jesus. And so I need to return to Jesus. And so as we receive communion, I invite you to return to him, to repent of all those ways maybe that things have just gotten in the way between you and God. Maybe it's just busyness. Maybe it's just doing stuff. Maybe it's your grief or your anxiety or your shame or your guilt or just whatever it might be. To give that over to Jesus and allow him to do the deep work in your soul that only he can do. Take some time at your seat as the band plays this next song. Be up there. I'm actually going to be at the communion table. And uh, if you want someone to pray with you during this, during this song, I'd love to, to, to pray with you. Maybe, like Elizabeth, there's something in your life you've been praying for and waiting for. I want to pray and hope with you. Maybe there's something like Zechariah that you need to confess some sin. This is a great opportunity to do that. As the band leads us in the song, would you just stand with me? And uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'll just talk through some of the communion details. Jesus, I thank you that you call us to repent, to return, and you are never frustrated with us. You never get tired of, of forgiving us and loving us and welcoming us. So Jesus, I pray right now for those, maybe like Elizabeth, who feel filled with reproach or shame or guilt or that people are whispering or they have something they've been longing for, hoping for. God, that you'd fill them with hope right now. That you would encourage their hearts to keep 
asking and hope until they get a no from you. And God, when people in our community struggle to keep hoping that we, as their community, would come alongside them and hope for them. And then God, like Zechariah and all the Jewish people who came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, those who have something they need to confess of, God, I pray that we would repent. Not in a guilt-filled, shame-ridden way, but just to know, hey, you know what? I've gotten off the path, the path of life and joy and hope and love. And God, I want to return to that path. So God, I pray right now, as we receive your communion, it would just be a tangible reminder that that path we're on leads to Jesus. And God, that we'd keep our focus on Jesus. We'd keep our eyes on him, our King, our Savior, who was crucified, but then rose again, defeating sin and death and all the enemies. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As the band plays, I'll see you back here at the table. Uh, you can dip the bread in the cup, receive communion. We also have a gluten-free option. Uh, and if you're not comfortable taking communion, no worries at all. You can just stay in your chair during this time. Um, but I encourage you, take the song. Uh, this is kind of our, our response time. We'll do one more closing song after this, but this is the time to just, God, what is it you know, that I, you need to do in my heart and soul uh, during this time? And, and communion is a great time to just have that connection with Jesus. So let's sing, let's receive communion. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.